1: You know, when I was a kid, I had this ritual. I'd close my eyes before I walked into my room.
0: Because I thought that one day when I opened them, my sister would be there. Just lying in bed, like nothing ever happened. You know, I'm still walking into that room.
1: Every day of my life.
2: That's the EX Files, a buffering rewatch adventure where we are watching and discussing every episode of The X Files one by one, spoiler free. I'm Jenny Owen Youngs, ex wife of Kristen Russo, and I grew up
3: watching The X Files. And I'm Kristen Russo, ex wife of Jenny Owen Youngs, and I've only ever seen four episodes of The X Files. Relatedly, today we're talking about season one, episode four, Conduit.
2: Conduit was written by Alex Gansa and Howard Gordon, directed by Daniel Sackheim, and originally aired on October 1st, 1993.
3: Getting closer to Halloween. Mm. Wow, Halloween 93. What did I dress up as as a 13-year-old? Was it the year that I dressed up as a Christmas present? I am not sure. I think that was 92, but uh, I'll I'll look into that particular X-File and report back. (laughs) This is the one, according to IMDb, where Mulder becomes obsessed with solving a case that closely parallels an encounter he experienced as a child. Now, Jenny, I want to let you know that it seems that Scully actually wrote this IMDb description because encounter (laughs) is in hard quotes. So (laughs) Uh 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 we've got a skeptic on the boards here.
2: This is also the one where Ruby didn't have friends. She just had people she liked to <laughs> hang with.
3: <laughs> <laughs> uh. burn, Tessa. Just burn after burn from Tessa. Uh, this is also, also the one where Jenny Owen Young's cried watching the episode.
2: Let me live, Kristen. <laughs> Producer LaToya Ferguson, with whom I guess I've had some times, gives this episode a scary rating of one out of five middle of the night sunburns. She clarifies one just for the theme song. I was pretty turned off by the overabundance of score, which really does some heavy lifting in this episode.
3: Correct. I read that before watching (laughs) it. Well, before watching it a second time. And I was like, you know, when Latoya is right, Latoya is right. The score (laughs) is really working. And you know, it's funny, Jenny, because like, you know, I don't know exactly your process on taking notes, but I assume that for most of us doing podcasts on television, we're sort of watching and typing at the same time or sometimes watching and writing. Uh, And I can always tell when there's a lot less of a script because I'm like, I don't even have to pause. I'm just like typing and I've got plenty of little holes where there's music swells and I can type my little notes into. And that was very much the uh, energy with this episode.
2: I think about 25% of this episode was Scully looking at Mulder in either like disbelief or like knowingly, you know, mm-hmm. just like doing the math, being like Samantha Mulder.
3: I couldn't equals bu- every <sighs> abductee. <laughs> I texted Jenny, Samantha Mulder already? Like I thought I was gonna have to wait so long to see that particular X file. I can't believe we already got there.
2: Yep. Yep, yep.
3: How do you feel, Jenny, about this out of the four, out of the four we've seen?
2: Out of the four we've seen, I feel I feel good about this episode. I, <laughs> you know, there is a lot going on that we'll talk about, of course, in detail. <laughs> but I like this kind of uh, abduction slash mm-hmm. alien story. Like it's, you know, more humanized feeling to me than the first two eps. Uh, I. I'm absolutely obsessed with how this episode goes out. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and then there's a lot of, like, fu- there's still, like, a lot of fun aspects that feel kind of monster of the wiki. When you, when you ascend to the second-floor balcony... And look down on a seemingly meaningless
3: binary code and a face is revealed. I'm in. Is this how the magic eye poster was invented? Was it yeah. this moment yeah. that they became uh, popularized in culture? Holy shit. <laughs> Fucking Ruby's face. Just po- instead of the Statue of Liberty, it's just Ruby's face.
2: Did we not even mention a magic eye poster in our Spencer Gifts we, conversations?
3: There was a lot to talk about. I mean, yeah. I said I said it and I stand by it. We could do an entire podcast on Spencer Gifts, you know? I mean, probably if you went through our library, our catalog of podcasts, and picked out every time we had a discussion about Spencer Gifts, it could make up its own podcast. Just stitch all that together. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> Um, I like this episode. I I miss Eugene Victor Tombs. I'm not gonna lie. I I <laughs> came, I came hot off of tombs and was like ready for spooky. Um, and then had to pivot to this is, I assume this is a massive myth arc episode. Rishi hereway watched this episode in his Myth Arc <laughs> hopscotch, correct?
2: I think that something that's like coming slightly into focus here for me is that like, because as we've previously discussed, I feel like Alien abduction was very much more in the collective consciousness in the mid-90s than it is now. Mm -hmm. I feel like that works to make the Monster of the Week episodes also feel more kind of like timeless in a way, Mm. more like relevant.
3: I I just had a good time with his orange eyes, you know? But yeah, yeah. But this but I did like this episode. I think it just it was a shift. And um, I think the things that I really liked, and I will probably continue to like is how Jillian Anderson is like threading the needle of having human feelings, but also trying so hard to like cl- clamp on to the structure that she has always known. I think she does a really mm. good job of like giving us that because that's you know, she does a lot of it with her eyes and with you know, it's not always in the writing. It's actually not often in the writing. I I thought the writing yeah. was okay in this episode, but like I just thought that what Gillian Anderson brought to the skeptic of it all was very cool. And then, you know, I mean, having I I referred to Kevin as little molder a lot in the in my notes. Um and I, I thought <laughs> Yeah, but I thought it, and I thought it was good. I mean, I assume that it has a lot to do with why you cried. Uh is cause we I thought that they did a really good job of giving us um, a visual of like what Mulder remembers of being little and like, you know, the like adult self protecting that child self that like nobody believed him then and nobody believes him now. And the way that he attaches to this character, I thought was very, very cool. But But also
2: that Kevin gets in the span of an episode what Mulder has been waiting mm-hmm. most of his life for.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And still doesn't have. Yeah, he gets his sister back. Um but listen, probably Mulder will also get his sister back. <laughs> We'll see. I'm just, I'm laughing because I just realized I may have said accidentally something so sad and I have no idea what I'm
2: saying. Um, Only one way to find out, Kristen, and that is to
3: persevere forward. God. All right. So I guess we can get into this episode. Jenny, have you ever left a full cup of coffee on the edge of your countertop Uh, not only in a trailer but anywhere just in the middle of the night
2: this was disturbing to (laughs) me and poured to the brim so full never sipped this is like baby shoes for sale never
3: worn Completely full cup of coffee, never sipped. Oh my god! Unrealized potential. So dark and so funny all at once. Uh, yeah, it just it was also
2: s'mores supplies just left open and scattered willy nilly. You're in the wilderness, ma'am. You are, asking are for a bears This is how yeah. you get ants.
3: Yeah, ants or a bear or both. Mm. Yeah, it just was confusing. I mean, like uh, the the s'mores supplies. I have a little bit of space for. I thought like. I mean, not realistically, but in terms of like setting the scene, like, oh, they're camping. Look at the s'mores. It's like like little drip of the faucet, like setting the mood. The cup of coffee made no sense to me directorially because clearly everything else was shaking and falling out of the cabinets. It wasn't like we didn't need the full cup. We of- could
2: also get the ripples in a half full cup of coffee or Or, half empty depending on your
3: general take (laughs) or like a glass of water next to the bed it just it was just yeah you know not to put too fine a point on it but it did give me a good laugh both times that I watched it
2: uh Latoya brought up a great point which is that (laughs) the mom is sleeping in the camper she has left her children outside later there are wolves in this area
3: (laughs) what I am not a camper. Okay. I've gone camping one time in my life and I did not like it. Uh, Mm. But I am not familiar with this style of camping where you lay outside on the ground in the open air. It just seems very scary. I've never
2: seen such a thing in my
3: life. (laughs) I like, I know people who like, you know, string a hammock between two trees maybe and sleep like that in the open air, but just like on the ground in the woods.
2: Yeah. These are like, Not like 1930s cowboys driving the doggies across the range. (laughs) You know, these are children in the modern era in the 1900s.
3: (laughs) I took a couple of notes, on Jenny. On I think perhaps possible ways to not get abducted, um, and one of them is don't sleep with your face up and your palms open pointing at the sky, which both Ruby and Darlene, her mother, do. And and we know Darlene had an encounter; she was not abducted. But like, stop lo- stop looking up at the sky with your palms up while you sleep out in the open. It just feels dangerous. And two. Yeah. Just putting, uh, repeating this point from a previous episode. Don't wear a fucking nightgown. Darlene comes out in a fucking nightgown. Danger. Just inviting
2: aliens into your life. Stop mm-hmm. doing that.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh The camper bounces and jumbles. Lights flash outside. Finally, it stops. The camper doorknob burns Darlene's hand. Her small son, Kevin, says, Ruby's gone. And no matter how loudly... Darlene yells Ruby's name at the sky. She fails to appear.
3: I refer to this UFO as an UFO, uh, unidentified hot flying object. So just put that in the the can. Uh, Yeah, I just put that in the lexicon. Kevin and, you know, we'll get real poltergeisty uh, in a couple of scenes, but like tiny Kevin is giving us full Carol Ann from poltergeist from start to finish of this episode. Uh, the Poltergeist, by the way, uh, Jenny, you've seen Poltergeist, the, the movie, yeah?
2: Not since I was uh, a small child. Ooh,
3: it was like one of my first horror movies. And I realized that, that Poltergeist is its own X-File. I'm sure many of our listeners know this. Maybe all, maybe every single one of them knows this. But um, the Poltergeist franchise was sort of riddled with a lot of very... Uh, either violent or early deaths of its cast Uh, oh yeah yeah the the girl who played the older sister Heather O'Rourke who played Carol Ann um Lou Perryman and then Richard Lawson who's also in the film did not die but survived a plane crash that killed 27 other people so it's like there's just like a lot of there was a lot of um electricity stuff on the set of the just you know I'm just saying if I get if I were to investigate an X-File it would be on my list Yes. Uh, You know
2: what X-Files are on Division Chief Scott Blevins' list? None. Zero X-Files make it onto his list. He's like, Scully, explain to me if you dare these Muldarian travel expenses that have been proposed to me. Moldarian. You were just saying Sure. Yeah. That why one. not?
3: That is hot, hot and sexy. I love that. Moldarian. If
2: Kafka gets Kafka esque, I <laughs> dare say Fox Mulder deserves Moldarian.
3: Right. Uh, yeah. He doesn't believe Mulder, but he does have the Samantha Mulder file in his personal filing cabinet, which I feel is a choice. Yeah. <laughs> do you think it is that, weird? Do you think that the smoking man and the FBI guys have one of those, like, um, what do you call those systems where you shoot a tube up with like hydraulics from like the under Ooh. belly of a library to the top?
2: I don't know what that's called, but I love it.
3: Yeah. And they were
2: like, they like There's paint. that. <laughs> Good. And then there's, maybe they have, maybe they also have a system like if you've ever been to B&H Photo in New York, where there is a conveyor belt <gasps> system that runs yes. uh, just below the ceiling throughout the entire store. So if you buy a camera way in the back... They put it in a bucket and it goes on the conveyor belt. And if you buy a TV on the second floor, Fuck. they put it on a different conveyor belt. I fucking forgot about that. And so on that. and so forth. That is. There are a lot of complex systems in the world. And I hope the FBI has access to all of them <laughs> for transporting uh, inter-office files.
3: Mm. Um, one of my notes from this scene where we... so. You know, Jenny, you kind of said it, right? The, the guy at the FBI is like, Scully, this is a bunch of hooey. What is going on here? Mulder wants us to pay for this trip to Iowa to go investigate a tabloid headline. It's a bunch of bullshit. Here's why mm. I think he's interested and hands over this folder of Samantha Mulder. My first note on this file is, so his legal name is Fox then? <laughs>
2: <laughs> Confirmed.
3: <laughs> Great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Fox and Samantha are from Massachusetts, and I looked up this town because I didn't recognize the name of it, and it's on Martha's Vineyard. Whoa. <laughs> so, I I mean, I don't think that's relevant to our, like, investigation. Wow, the Mulders,
2: but... canonically a Martha's Vineyard family. All right.
3: <laughs> All right. Um. Scully defends Mulder uh, like when questioned about if his personal agenda is clouding his professional (laughs) judgment, Scully's like, in my opinion, no.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, definitely not. The suit's like, I'm going to disallow his request. And Scully is like, let me talk to him and make an assessment. And then (laughs) somehow (laughs) she, A, is convinced by, by Mulder And B, in turn, somehow convinces Scott Blevins. Well,
3: here's the thing is he only asked if Mulder's personal agenda was clouding his professional judgment. But he didn't say, is your personal uh, agenda clouding your professional judgment, which is (laughs) here to judge if Mulder's personal agenda is clouding his professional Mm. judgment. He didn't step back far enough to get the clear answer to that question, I think. I see. I see. (laughs) All right. Jenny, um, clearly we've skipped the credits. Uh, We're not going to talk about them every time, but I did have a credits question for you. Okay. Is that someone whistling or is it an instrument? Do you know the answer even?
2: Actually, the whistle melody is a combination of uh, two sounds. An old sample from the Proteus line of synth products called Whistling Joe (laughs) and the whistling of Mark Snow, the composer's (gasps) wife, Glynn.
3: Oh, that's cool. Wow. I'm so glad I fucking asked. Great. Uh. Great, great, great. I often think that everything is an instrument, including when Jenny just does full vocals on a track. So I realized I was not qualified to assess if this were (laughs) an instrument or a vocal. It's both. Why not both? So
2: nice to feel seen and heard.
3: Um, also, another way that uh, Scully is convinced Jenny is a fucking slideshow. I was so excited. I was like, "Wow, okay. slideshow
2: o'clock, baby!"
3: Fifty. We're at fifty percent slideshows. Two episodes out of four have a slideshow. That's fifty percent, guys.
2: That's right. The only way, the only way that it's worth looking at photos in Mulder's mind is blown up and projected onto <laughs> a white pull down.
3: Is he so wrong?
2: No. Lake Okoboji. A noted UFO sighting hotspot. There are so many. Four out of nine Girl Scouts agree. (laughs) This is a great place to see a UFO. Five,
3: if you include their den mother. Yeah. (laughs)
2: Uh, The Air Force said it was a weather balloon, but no weather balloons were launched within 700 miles that day. I just want to highlight, because I feel like maybe we talked about this in episode zero, Uh, and not in the main pod feed there was a compilation released in 1996 called songs in the key of x music from and inspired by the x-files who owned it on cd why your friend jenny did thank you very much (laughs) one of the songs is called unmarked helicopters it's by soul coughing (gasps) a band we love and one of the lyrics in that song is unmarked helicopters hovering they said it was a weather balloon ah
3: well, and I don't know if you, also from episode zero, Jenny, um, I gave a little history of aliens, and one of the big talking points that I addressed was the Roswell, sort of like the, the all of the events surrounding Roswell, and this weather balloon was, like a weather balloon was the ultimate answer that was given to a lot of the debris that f- that fell into various places mm. in that region, so... This is definitely pulled from, A, it's it's likely pulled from various stories. I'm sure that, like, I was reading one of the bigger ones, but I, I'm i certain that um, maybe even in 67 there was something like this that also happened. Uh, mm-hmm. It's the same Darlene Morris, Jenny. That same Girl Scout, all grown up. Oh my God. So they get, so Scully, I guess we are to believe, goes back upstairs to Mr. FBI and is like, actually, uh, this Darlene Morris was a Girl Scout who saw who saw UFO a long time ago in 67. So can we actually get funding for this? Can we make it a case file? And he was like, you know what? Get the fuck out of here. Just go. <laughs> I can't take it with you people anymore.
2: Uh, Scully and Mulder arrive at Darlene Morris's house and she's immediately like, would you like some coffee? <laughs> She's
3: like, I have six cups of it right on the edge of my counter, full <laughs> to the brim. <laughs> please, please, take I need one help drinking this cup. Spilling. <laughs> um. Okay. First of all, a shout out to the Morris family camper, which I think is so fucking cool. It's a, such a cool mm. truck and such a cool camper. Two maybe, shout out, I don't know if it deserves a shout out, but their satellite dish is the biggest satellite dish I've ever seen in my life on their front lawn. Like, they should be calling someone that they get no channels. The satellite dish should be big enough to get them TV globally.
2: Well, this was another point brought up by LaToya, uh, who was suggesting that maybe the the emphasis on the huge satellite dish was to highlight the strangeness of the static of the television. Right, right. Implying some kind of, like, deliberate alien interference
3: that's fine i would still be calling you know spectrum like what the fuck you guys (laughs) direct tv
2: yeah when darlene goes to get the coffee Mulder takes the opportunity to stand in front of the mantle and look at a zillion framed photos of ruby and project his own desire to see his sister again all the fuck over this living room (laughs)
3: The way he touches the photo is – Jenny's making a really, like, it's so sweet, isn't it? It is sweet. The idea of him reaching for his sister is sweet. But the way he places his hand on the photo is so awkward (laughs) that the first time I watched it, I was like, what is he doing? Like, I didn't even understand that he was simply just touching the photo. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But, yeah, Yeah, Scully, you know. This whole episode is – Mulder looking for his sister in Ruby and Scully watching Mulder look for his sister in Ruby. Because Scully is in this scene and in like all of the rest of the scenes just sort of standing a couple paces away watching this unfold.
2: Yeah, the way that she watches him, I could
3: cry. Yeah, it's very um, it's very nice. I, like, almost didn't want to put them in the sexual attention award bin this week because it was so tender. But, like, yeah, yeah. you know what, guys? Sex can be tender, too, okay? So we're still putting them okay. in. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So in Darlene's kitchen, thankfully not a coffee cup in sight on the edge of any countertops, <laughs> she is talking about how she really wants... Her daughter back again, and she's connecting with Mulder because Mulder is explaining, like, I know you, and I know you saw this thing. And, I mean, she immediately clocks him as, I think, a believer. I don't know. I mean, I guess that's my judgment. I don't know if you feel the same, Jenny, but she... Mm. Right? She says they took her, didn't they, Mr. Mulder? Like, you know and I know, and who's this bitch? Because she doesn't believe me. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Watching Darlene tell Scully... Uh, this thing that she says, I've, I've told this story so many times and every time people get this look in their eyes like the one that you have right now. Watching this, just like really, I found myself thinking like, man, these one episode actors that they cast on this show,
3: mm-hmm.
2: really, what I wrote here was they're just so fucking good. And then later I was watching Tessa thinking, okay, maybe they they really get the job done. There's like something about the tone of this show That makes it just like feel so distinctly different from things that are being made now. And maybe it's like the tone of the show, plus those actors, plus the look of like shooting on film, plus Mm. the sort of like understated, like unemotional way that Mulder and Scully both kind of have. Yeah. Obviously, Mulder's having like an emotional episode, but generally they're like, we're the FBI. We're here to, like, observe and see. And obviously, I guess Mulder actually is, like, pretty... He's either crying in church looking at a picture of his sister or he's, like, running around like a kid who just ate a bunch of pixie sticks (laughs) spray-painting red X's on the side of the road. (laughs) But still, but still, because Duchovny is, like... His way of talking is just so, like, one... It's, like, really... It's in a tight... Mm -hmm column he's like really <laughs> there's a song by brie sharp that we'll talk about later called uh, i believe it's just called david dacovny but the chorus refrain is david dacovny why don't you love me and at one point i think it's in the bridge she says the man the myth the monotone <laughs> and like i have been thinking about that so much while we've been watching because he really is it's wild because at the end of this episode we get to hear the the uh, hypnotherapy tape, and that's like really that's like really really in one particular. He's like really keeping it extremely level, mm-hmm. which makes like regular Mulder sound <laughs> sound like a you know like a bouncing super ball comparatively. But uh, the man is keeping it tight, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah,
3: and and this I mean this actress is her name's Carrie Snodgrass um, she reminded me a lot, Jenny, I don't think, have you watched sex education? Another, uh, Jillian uh-uh. Anderson, uh, performance in, in that show, which is, I would highly recommend. Um, there's a character on that show named Maeve and an actress named Anne Marie Duff plays her mom. And I was like, I know, I knew it wasn't the same actress because the shows are, you know, decades apart. So it could, it couldn't possibly be, but very similar vibes of just like, you know, this this mom who has, like, been through hell and is going to protect her kids at all costs vibe. Like, it very, just really delivers it, really lands it. I believe it. Like, I know this lady, you know? hmm Also, you brought up, uh, and, and I'm not going to put too fine a point on this, but you brought up the, you know, Darlene and Scully here. Like, I'm used to people looking at me like that, um, this, like, non-believing thing. And there's this whole monologue that she gives at the end where she's like, you know, You want Ruby to tell her story, but for who? And they're talking about UFOs, but like the way the dialogue is written, I like could not read this story as also, you know, a sexual assault story, a story of like, you want my, you want this woman to share her story, but like I shared mine and I wasn't believed. And I I don't know if that was Mm. intentional or if it was not, but it just like the dialogue was so specifically in that lane that I thought if this was intentional, it's a pretty, you know. I mean, we've been talking about vampires and monsters and all things sci-fi and genre for a long time. So we are very familiar with how powerfully stories about real life things can be told when you're in this fantasy sci-fi space. Um, And so I just thought that that was a really powerful, um, really powerful lines Mm -hmm. of dialogue and just a really, I don't know, a really interesting way to look at the conversation as well. Yeah. You ready for poltergeist clock? Here's the thing. If you are,
2: if there's a TV in your house that's just playing static 24 hours a day and it's giving you messages, please don't write them down. Take off the nightgown, put away your pen and paper, stay safe out there.
3: Please, please stop it's the, it, we are in 93 poltergeist came out in the 80s you have been warned yeah don't sit warned. in front of a static tv ever
2: and don't be Mulder rolling up and taking a look and being like sweet ones and zeros dude <laughs>
3: <laughs> uh this kid is like Mulder asks where it's coming from. And this kid, I wish there are a a couple of times uh, making a podcast where I'm like, damn, I wish this was a visual medium, because I would show you this clip of this child creepily turning around and saying, it's coming from there, and then turning slowly back to the TV. Get the, everybody get the fuck out of this house. Call the lady who cleans the house. You need to get rid of the spirits and the aliens. Please make this house clean.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, This is not this nothing good is coming from this television. Uh, Mulder, you better believe Mulder leaves this house with a copy of those zeros and ones and immediately faxes them to his pal Danny in, I don't know, decryption or
3: something. Does that make the zeros and ones turn into more zeros and ones?
2: (laughs) I I don't know how the technology of faxing works. (laughs)
3: Uh, yeah, he offers this guy football tickets to get some information on these zeros and ones. You love to see Indeed. it. You know, trade what you've got. Use what you've got, kids. Yeah. I have written, Scully is talking to Officer Misogyny. Uh, Jenny, you had written this in our pre-production notes. This guy is like, he's not even a real person. He's just like the caricature of misogyny. So.
2: <laughs> yeah, he's literally just like, women are things on legs. Uh. <laughs> He says they found... He's the sheriff, right? Sheriff Withers uh, says they found no evidence of kidnapping. He assumes that Ruby ran away. Ruby's done it before. He also says Darlene has a, quote, active imagination, and he's been hearing about it since first grade. So I guess uh, they went to elementary school together.
3: Oh, my God. He was like, these ridiculous Girl Scouts. Like He's like five years old, just already mad at women. Yeah. Uh... (laughs) This guy's got a terrible vibe. Yeah. He also, he speaks out of both sides of his fucking mouth in this scene because he's like, wouldn't be the first time she's run away. And then he's also like, obviously something bad happened to her. She had it coming. And I'm like, which is it, dude? Did she run away or did something bad happen to her? At least if you're going to be a misogynist prick, pick one, you know? Yeah, I
2: mean, well, you know, in his defense, Ruby was always making out with boys and drinking. Therefore... What else could we have expected? Mulder is so pissed at this and Scully is looking at him being
3: pissed. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. This is an interesting thing, too, like in in terms of just talking about the fact that Mulder is trading football tickets for Intel, because this conversation that they have as they're going to the car is kind of an extension of that. Like, what do you, what do you use last, last week? Was it last week with Tom Colton? Yeah, we saw, you know, Scully perhaps using some of her femininity, et cetera, to get on the good side of Colton to maybe get things that she would need in the case. In this conversation, she's like, dude, why do you have to be a dick to that sheriff? We both know he's a fucking asshole, but we might like need him later. Mulder suggests <laughs> sending him a bunt cake. But I like the idea of these two as uh, both people who are willing to use what they have at their disposal to set a cleaner path to the end game here, um, which, you know, for Mulder is wrapped up in his sister and the truth. And we at least heard Scully say last week has a lot to do with the victims. So... Use what you got, guys. Yeah.
2: Uh, Mulder declares that he's Mr. Congeniality, actually. (laughs) Footage not found. Uh, Coming back to their car, they discover a note on the windshield. In all caps, someone has scrawled, I'm across the street. Follow me. This reminded me, Kristen, of the drawing I showed you during our episode zero live stream.
3: The drawing of Samantha Mulder. (laughs)
2: the drawing of undetermined, (laughs) unknown (laughs) at present, uh, reminding me that, you know, this is 1993. People were not afraid to make things with their hands. In fact, it was the only way. (laughs) And I'm just really excited to see more handwritten and hand-drawn things as we move forward. This is... Oh, Oh. and if if you weren't with us for episode zero, you can hop on over to our TikTok and watch yep. Kristen on video attempt to ID the entity in the drawing.
3: This is, I agree with you, Jenny. It was not a time where you could simply uh, shoot a text message. This was this was the era of ransom notes made from cut out letters from magazines. We were crafty Supreme criminals times. in the 90s. Um, but I also just think this is especially funny from Tessa that like, She wrote a note, but she could have simply written... Like, she could have just written the thing she was going to tell them in the library instead of being like, I'm across the street, follow me to the stacks, and then, like, telling them through the books.
2: Or she could have been like, I'm in the library, but instead she stands (laughs) on the sidewalk, waits for them to see her, very suspiciously enters the library waits until they enter the same row of books as her, then quickly whips around the corner and pokes her eyes through the hole in the stacks where they have a conversation Uh, through the books. I love it.
3: Tessa believes that she is the main character of this episode, and I love her for it. She is dressed for the occasion and all.
2: I love her. I love her. They're trying to get information from her about Ruby, and they ask if she and Ruby were friends. And She says Ruby didn't have friends. She just had people... She liked to hang with. (laughs) What is pray tell the difference, Tessa? Kristen, do you delineate uh, in your life between the people who you who you'd think of as friends and people you just like to hang with?
3: I mean, not not casually in conversation. I would refer to people that I hang out with as friends, but I I do see a delineation between. Folks that I sit down with and I get deep with immediately or just, like, don't say anything. You know what I mean? Like, the casualness of a friendship, of a deep friendship, versus, like, people where you're more talking on the surface. So I I see the distinction. Uh, I think that maybe Tessa and – well, I mean, I guess we're to believe, right, that Tessa and Ruby had some kind of relationship that was then torn apart by all sorts of uh, love triangle. Uh, escapades Mm -hmm. so maybe tessa is simply letting off a little steam of her feelings
2: yeah tessa tells them that ruby was supposed to see her boyfriend greg randall the night that she disappeared and she says greg got ruby pregnant whatever ruby got herself (laughs) pregnant tessa i think we need to have a little biology chat actually
3: This episode really letting us know that um, there are a lot of people in this town in Iowa who think that women really had it coming, including some of the women themselves. So, OK. Yikes. Uh, she <laughs> they ask if she knows Greg
2: from school. Uh, and she says, Greg, school? I don't think so. I love Everything about Tessa. Oh. "Oh, She says, she tells them that he's a bartender at the Pennsylvania pub. Jenny, while you were talking, the document- You were hanging on every single word and totally focused on what I was saying? I I was until
3: the document (laughs) in which my notes are selected itself by itself and highlighted itself green. What? (laughs) Like- I, and I, I like really tried to hold it together, but I, cause I was like, oh, Jenny probably leaned on something. And then I was like, wait, Jenny's not in this document. This is just my document. So I'm scared. I'm
2: scared for you. Me too, but onwards and upwards. Uh, yo. Just if, if the document starts telling you ones and zeros, don't write I'm them out down. Here.
3: I'm just hitting end and that's where the podcast will end <laughs> this week. <laughs> um, the librarian. Okay. Now, I don't know what it means to be an FBI agent, okay? But the librarian drops a large book and the noise startles Mulder and Scully so much that Tezza is gone. And I just feel like I I mean, you know she's like right there. She's just like she, down
2: she she, she hasn't even gotten out the door yet, guys. She, you can just grab her. Yeah. I, I just feel like she couldn't have gone that far. <laughs>
3: Um, She's probably waiting there for you to catch her, actually. (laughs) My document is now not green anymore. I'm going to keep you posted. So far, no ones and zeros, but what the actual fuck is happening? I'm scared. Okay, let's go to this biker bar. What is the name of this biker bar? Pennsylvania Pub. Pennsylvania. Kind of a lacking in its name.
2: Well, it's in Iowa, so there's that. (laughs) Uh,
3: (laughs) No offense to our Iowan listenership.
2: No, I just mean, uh, oh, that's not what I meant. I meant, like, it's it's funny that it's called the Pennsylvania pub because it's not in Pennsylvania. They're emulating. <laughs> I was not, I it. Was not dissing <laughs> Iowa.
3: I feel that Mulder feels very self-conscious upon walking into this bar. Do you agree? I think so.
2: I think he's like, oh, I wish I had packed my leathers. Yeah,
3: he like straightens his tie and you can see on his face that he's like, why did I have to wear a fucking tie into this fucking bar? (laughs) Idiot, loser, stupid, stupid. (laughs) Oh, so we learn from this bartender who I love. Like, I would like a collection of all of the believers so far. You know, give me LaDonna from the Flying Saucer, whatever the fuck the diner was called. Give me this guy with one very sunburnt, in hard quotes, ear. Uh, I want them all together at, like, a UFO uh, conference. You know, I want to see them all hanging out. Uh, Yes, please. This guy has had it. Greg called in six, three weeks ago. He hasn't been back since the dude is fired. Um, He really wants to know why these two suits are in his bar. Kristen. Yes. Sorry. I just
2: wanted to look up the character name really quick of uh, the barkeep. His name is Kip. Oh. And the actor who plays him is named Donald Gibb. And I need you to hear me when I read to you some highlights from this gentleman's description on IMDb. His bio begins, massive six foot four muscular behemoth, Donald Richard Gibb, was born on August 4th, 1954 in New York City. Uh, I need you to know, Kristen, that he had a roster spot on the San Diego Chargers (gasps) prior to embarking on an acting career. Wow. I need you to know... That I recognized him because I watched Bloodsport starring Jean-Claude Van Damme about (laughs) 10,000 times as a child.
3: Of course you did.
2: And I need you to know that he now lives in Chicago, Illinois, and is the co-owner and spokesman for the Chicago karaoke bar, Trader Todd's. Shut
3: the fuck up. We're planning a road trip, goddammit. We're going to Yeah, we got to go to Chicago. Yep, and Chicago's on. on the list. I love this guy. I loved him before I even knew any of that, and now I love him even more. He's got a tattoo, Jenny, of a flying saucer on his arm. And Mulder's like, what a bunch of hooey, straightens (laughs) Ty. I like this move. This like, I I like it here. I will say it was a little intense for me later with Tessa. Uh, We'll get there. But in this instance, I love the Mulder just like playing. I don't believe that shit just to get the intel. Very fun. Oh, yeah. This dude, Kip, that's his name. Yes, Kip is like, you should ride with us sometime. And I feel like <laughs> they don't show us the footage, but Mulder is like, oh fuck yeah, <laughs> like
2: yeah yeah. Cool. No, he's definitely like,
3: he gets a little taller yeah. in that moment. <laughs> oh man, did you see when that biker asked me to ride with them? <laughs> that was hell so cool. yeah. Um, and he reveals in this very, this gesture, I don't know why it's like so reminiscent of just like a thing people did to reveal something in this period of time, but he like, (laughs) sort of like flicks his hair down to like push it back and behind his hair, it's almost like he was in a meat shed with his best friend in the woods for too long. No! So sorry, everyone because his, uh, his ear is mostly gone um and, and and he refers to this as a sunburn that he got in the middle of the night at the lake do you think he was like <laughs> sleeping on his side when the when the ufo came down so it just only burned his little ear or like but how's... also nof- none
2: of the surrounding area yeah what <laughs> uh, how did it's he complicated, complicated. <laughs> it's never revealed exactly <laughs> what happened here uh <laughs>
3: Scully's face is fucking iconic in this scene. She's fucking... Jillian Anderson, please marry me. How would you characterize the nature of her look? Yeah, please marry me. She's like terrified of like all of the bikers around her in her suit. She's also very aware of her suit. She is like, oh my God, about like the reveal of this ear. And she's also like, what have I gotten myself into? And then the fourth layer is... I'm kind of in love with this man standing next to me named Fox Mulder. It's all there. It's all okay. <laughs> it's, it's all there, Jenny. All right. All
2: right. All right. Over at the stay and save, which is not where I was expecting Mulder and Scully to be staying... But maybe, maybe Blevins didn't sign off on their hotel expenses. (laughs) Oh,
3: I like that. It does say you can get a gift certificate for your friends there. So maybe, you know, one Hmm. of them got a gift.
2: (laughs) It's 5.30 a.m. and there are men outside Scully's room. They're trying to open the door. Once again, her gun is farther away than she would like. And I'm going to say, maybe Scully, you just got to keep the thing strapped to your hip at all times. Sleeping. Preparing a bath. I need that
3: on under the robe. At least put it next to your bed. I have the same note. Scully, you have to sort out getting this gun sooner. Like, you, ha- you have to figure it out.
2: Yeah. Uh, but all these men want from Scully is to know where Mulder is. Didn't
3: they? Couldn't they have gotten his room number? It's in. It's interesting though because they say where's Mulder. So the first time I watched the episode, I was like, oh, they just want Mulder. But then by the end of the scene, it becomes clear that they questioned both of them. So I think they wanted her and him, but they mm-hmm. hadn't. They hadn't located him. He, you know, Fox Mulder. He probably reserved under like some fake name. He was like, I'm under Hans Verber. Uh, thank you very much. I'm under Mox Folder. <laughs> <laughs> um, does the NSA just? pick your lock if you're i mean yes if you're a regular citizen i'm sure they don't give a fuck but like you're fbi agent and you the nsa just pick picks the lock opens the door to your fucking hotel in the middle of the night is that how it works
2: if you're an fbi agent and the nsa has ever picked your lock at the hotel um please email us at hello at bufferingcast.com and let us know thanks
3: speaking of hello jenny in the next scene you (laughs) you ain't kidding holy shit Mulder sleeps with no shirt on and you know what I like it I like everything that I'm seeing here I would like to wow. see more of it thank you very much I wow yeah this uh, makes petition no for sense. more shirtless Mulder <laughs> yeah this note makes no sense but I said no shirt all service Mulder what That note does not make sense. (laughs) Like, no shirt, no service. Like, no shirt, no shoes, no service. But, like, no shirt, I would like all service. Thank you, Mulder. That's the joke I was trying to make. But, yeah. So close. (laughs) So close.
0: You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join
2: me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world that ours is not a loving God and we are not its favored children.
0: The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.
2: Uh, they want to know where he got the document and Mulder is perplexed. What Document Well, they, of course, mean the zeros and ones from Kevin because it's a defense satellite transmission, actually.
3: Uh, My next note is bedhead o'clock and then casual corners. I have already let everyone know that my favorite part of every episode is when we get Mm. Scully and Mulder together in their casual clothes. And Uh, even though Mulder's really mad at Scully because she gave up the eight-year-old boy to the NSA... It's still delightful to me. Um, Mulder has put on some kind of like chambray-esque button down over the pecs we just saw.
2: Uh His hair is
3: all mussed up from sleep. She's in her PJs. I love it. That's all.
2: Yeah. See, I feel like seeing Mulder with his hair mussed up uh, makes the connection between him and Kevin even more strong. Aww. Um, Scully, oh, Scully. Scully's like, I love opposing threats to national security, but she forgot to think about the fact that Kevin is an eight-year-old child.
3: Yeah. I'm hoping that she starts to learn a little bit more, a little bit more quickly. This was one of Latoya's notes in the production document, a continued frustration over Scully's um, continued trust in these systems You know, we're in episode four. I agree. The events have been, should have been, I think, dramatic enough to shift her a little more from where she's at. But she's pretty young. She's pretty new to doing this work. And I think that part of where she's at is like clinging to the structures. I don't know that she's simply trusting them. I think that she's like, but if I do it the right way, hard quotes then it will be all right. So I have room for Mm -hmm. it right today, right now. But I hope that she starts to have a little bit more mistrust for these fuckers soon.
2: Yeah, because they're at Darlene's place, absolutely tossing the Morris home, separating Kevin and Darlene. They broke Kevin's piggy bank open for fuck's sake. I hope you're happy, Dana.
3: This is dramatic. When they're tearing those fucking drawings off the wall, I was like, guys, Jesus Christ. They separate yeah. them also seemingly very unnecessary. They separate uh Kevin and Darlene. Mulder literally looks like an eight-year-old boy in this scene. He's so sad. He's like literally just like pouting on the side of the road. He's heartbroken that like this has happened because it's not just happening to Kevin, it's happening to little Mulder. <laughs> No, oh. I know. Also, please note Scully is wearing a tight purple shirt under a gigantic green jacket, and she looks great. <laughs> uh,
2: yeah, she has a uh, date to uh, sabotage uh, Batman <laughs> later. <laughs> uh, they go back upstairs in the house, and Mulder happens to look out the window and see that the top of the camper is burnt. Mm-hmm. So you he f- finds a ladder nearby, scampers up, uh, touches the burnt stuff,
3: sniffs it just to be sure. There was a commercial in the 90s, Jenny. Uh, you you referred to it as Diet Coke Break. And I would like actually for you to describe it because I was going to try. But I think you have a more vivid memory of what happens in this. And then
1: I will. Yeah, I
2: have a pretty vivid memory because I watched it as recently as like two months ago. <laughs> uh, this commercial, Diet Coke Break involves an office full of women. And uh, one of them says conspiratorially to another as she looks up at the clock, Diet Coke break, 11.30, Diet Coke break, Diet Coke break. It spreads through the office, populated exclusively with young women like wildfire. They all run to the window and a burly construction man, who in my memory is shirtless, but probably isn't in reality. He uh, is. No, he is. He's definitely shirtless. He's, he's dewy with uh, the sweat of a honest day's work. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he tilts his head back and brings a frosty Diet Coke to his lips and sips it. He drinks deep of uh, that ambrosia. And all the women gasp and breathe heavily and fan themselves and require assistance. Fuck yeah. And then they're like, same time tomorrow. <laughs> and they're all like,
3: yeah. Uh, thank you for, thank you. I-, I didn't know even what I was going to Literally get. anytime. time. When I asked for that, um, I bring that commercial to the conversation because when I watched Scully watching Mulder, Pick up charred bits of the top of the RV. I got Diet Coke break vibes. Oh yeah, we are too. Scully believe whispers to
2: herself, "Burnt camper break," and then whispers back to
3: herself, "Burnt camper break." <laughs> I'm just sure, saying, totally fully checking out Mulder's ass, pretending that it's for science in this scene. Fully. Mm. Hmm. Uh, okay.
2: Kristen, buckle up and get in your time machine because it's 1993 and no one, not even a medical doctor and the top psychological profiler at the FBI, know what binary code is. (laughs) Thankfully, Agent Atsumi is there to explain it to them. She puts Kevin's zeros and ones into the computer and shows them what this code is. Can be translated into a DNA double helix, a piece of art by Leonardo da Vinci, a snippet from the Brandenburg concertos, which Scully actually knows by ear. She listens Uh, to them in the bath.
3: She listens to it in the bath.
2: Scully's never been in the bath, Kristen. She's only aspired to get into the bath. Uh, A Shakespearean sonnet, Mulder says it's like someone's switching channels. It's just these these bite sized bits of cultural touchstones. What could it mean, Kristen? Uh, Darlene, they want to talk to Darlene. Mulder really wants to talk to Darlene, but she's had enough. She's been burned. She's no longer interested in Mulder and Scully. She tells them to stay away from her and Kevin.
3: Kevin is just like chilling, looking at all of the security footage TVs. And Mulder is just (laughs) chilling, staring at little Mulder, looking at the TV screens.
2: (laughs) Yeah, Kevin's like, this is my favorite show surveillance
3: for the second time now I think Mulder has simply taken the car to do with it what he wishes and only what he wishes and this time Scully is inside the car she's like wait I thought we were going home where the fuck are we going and he's like the boy is the key to finding Ruby
2: yeah they pass exit 68 on the highway and I high-five myself knowing where they must be headed Oh, exit 69
3: my fucking god Jennifer wow um
2: Mulder says Kevin is a conduit, and, and there's a, a deep clank off in the distance as he says the title of the episode inside the episode.
3: The titular conduit doesn't have as much of a ring as the titular squeeze did last week. I'll uh, tell that's you what.
2: correct. Yeah, but uh, at least we don't have to call HR. <laughs>
3: um, this is this is actually like I talked a little bit of a, at the top about how Jillian Anderson I think uh, threads the needle of this like I. I'm a skeptic, but I have, like, human feelings vibes. Uh, This is a moment where I think the writing also lends itself to it because there's this moment where, uh, you know, Scully's like, they said it was a statistical aberration, and Mulder basically just looks at her, and she's like, yeah, no, I know, it's not really much of an explanation. And I just love it. It's small, (laughs) but it, it, like, for me, it, like, did this huge lift of seeing that humanity behind Scully's, Statistical facade, you know? Mm-hmm.
2: Okay, so what do they find at the Lake Okoboji campsite? Let me tell you, Kristen. They find one burnt-ass tree line. They find glass solidified from sand, which requires a temperature of 2,500
3: degrees. How do you... How do they know... I mean, fine. It's aliens. I believe it. But, like, how, he just picks up a piece of glass. I There's not... You know what I mean? It's just... Gla- How do we know it's, yeah, just but it's all gla-
2: melty looking. Yeah.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, also, Kristen, do you feel like a white wolf would poke its little snout out of the woods in an area where there weren't regular alien... No.
3: Drop-ins? No. um, I don't know. Uh, Jenny, I was kind of hoping that you would have a little bit more to say about this, and here's why. Uh, and I, I may be just putting you on the spot with, uh, with no warning, but... This is a white wolf in the land of yellow jackets we have just confronted. We have recently confronted a white moose. I listened to, both of us listened to Joanna Robinson and Mallory Rubin podcast about yellow jackets, in which they talked about a white stag that was very significant in House of the Dragon. So I don't know if you have more to say. There's, of course, the iconic white polar bear from Lost. So I don't know if you have more to add to the whiteness of this wolf uh but i wanted to open the floor to you however of more knowledge than me
2: thank you so much um i wish i had more hot wolf goss ready to go for you (laughs) all i can say is that um there is a wildlife refuge in big bear that i have visited that's basically like a place where where animals that have been like orphaned because of like a forest fire or a car accident or what have you uh are brought they basically like would not survive on their own so they're brought to this this refuge the sanctuary and um they're you know living their lives it's kind of like a retirement community for cool guys uh (laughs) and there was a a whole pack of timber wolves that had been orphaned and then grew up there together in the refuge and a bunch of them were white i think it might just be as simple as uh you know they were born that way.
3: Wow. One uh one more point in the bin for Kristen as Mulder, Jenny as Scully. Just <laughs> I mean, it might
2: be symbolic, but it might just be what the wolf trainers had available that day for <laughs> location shooting. Fair, also, fair. Kristen, I did do a little moose research after the Yellow Jackets episode dropped. And did you know that moose can dive up to 20 feet in water? What? To eat aquatic plant life? No. Yeah, they'll just they'll just go diving for kelp or
3: whatever. That's insane. I know. <laughs> Could you imagine I if you so- were just swimming in a lake and you looked over and you saw a moose diving 25 feet down below to eat some snacks?
2: yeah that would be incredible Uh, lord let that happen to me i want to see a moose in the flesh literally
3: never happened to me never
2: i live in maine and i've never seen a moose oh
3: god well just be careful okay drive slow (laughs) okay
2: but hey if i have to be led to a shallow grave by anything i hope it's a pack of cute little white wolves
3: they are real cute i wrote cute little wolves having a little snacky you know they're just looking for a little snack (laughs) Um, Mulder scares them away with a gunshot and they sort of like yelp off. Uh Scully oh. comes fucking careening around the corner. She <laughs> is not clumsy this time. She doesn't trip on a rock, nothing. She keeps her footing. Uh, and they find this shallow grave that, of course, Mulder thinks might have Ruby in it.
2: Uh, not only is she running really well, <laughs> Scully is also wearing. A sort of like horseback riding reminiscent (laughs) plaid jacket with like a black velvet collar over a white button up with once again her cross necklace, which is on a short chain, Mm. worn on the outside Mm -hmm. of the shirt. She looks so
3: cool. And I love her. Yeah, she does.
2: Kristen, if you're such a molder, as you love to assert, when was the last time you disturbed a crime
3: scene? well, Jenny, I don't know. I'll think about it and get back to you. (laughs) Okay. Don't want to incriminate yourself on the pod. Yeah. I don't want the NSA picking my fucking locks in the middle of the night. You know what I mean? I do. Okay. Guess what? We're ready for a fucking jingle cue, Jenny, because they crouch down by this grave and Scully is... Mulder is, like, just tossing rocks off of this. And Scully is like, yo, what are you doing? You're disturbing a crime scene. And he's like, what if it's her? I need to know. Jenny, I went back and I counted the seconds that they looked at each other in their direct <laughs> eyeballs. Nine Uh-oh. whole seconds. Not, oh my word! uninterrupted seconds. They are looking at each other in their eyeballs. Please play the significant eye contact jingle. Thank you.
2: I feel like... This is the kind of thing that modern television like doesn't have time for. We don't have, to have time for people to look at each
3: other for nine whole seconds. It's 0.03% of the whole episode. I did the math. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
2: my God. Uh, well, for better or for worse, it's actually not Ruby. It's Greg Randall. They were like, oh. Ruby's boyfriend oh and Sheriff God. Dickhead says Ruby had a lot of boyfriends. Can we get the patriarchy jingle? A jingle I myself never even call for. Even I cannot deny <laughs> that it's real. <laughs>
0: of
3: all of all moments i mean like it's not cool at any point but read the fucking forest man not now what are you doing oh
2: in front of a dead body sir get the fuck out of here god uh you know if i discover a dead body the first thing i'm doing is checking the wallet hell yeah
3: for for handwriting (laughs) clues
2: because for handwriting clues because here it is this note which is like about an appointment (gasps) matches the follow me note. They bring Tessa in. Ooh, Scully has her in the interrogation room with a a black rectangle that I want to explain to our listeners. Uh, It's a cassette recorder, which she's using like the voice memo app on your iPhone uh, to record her conversation with Tessa.
0: Uh, Uh, Turns out
2: it was... The lady doth protest too much, methinks. Tessa was pregnant. Greg was the father. Oh yeah. Oh. Yeah, they were gonna run away. Actually, Mulder is like a bad copping out on Tessa. What did you think of
3: this? I, I, this went a little bit too. It just it was a little unbelievable to me. I, I know, mm. I know, I know. The motivation here is like he's going harder than he's gone on any case before because his emotions are high, and this isn't about Ruby. It's about Samantha. And like I'm there for it, but I, I there's this. The scene didn't really. Gel for me the way that I wished that it did the general vibe of like him going hard and getting the facts from her I like I just didn't love the delivery Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. what about you
2: I just think it's really funny that even when he's yelling he's yelling at exactly one level
3: (laughs) bam (laughs) bam
2: Uh, yeah yeah there's like there's no there's not like dynamic arcs it's just like plateau louder plateau quieter plateau (laughs) Uh, he does manage to get the telltale she wasn't even there that night out of Tessa.
3: I mean, I'm uh, happy for him that it works. You know, he was like, yeah. I read somewhere that if you say I don't believe in aliens, you'll find out about aliens. And I read somewhere that if you just sell somebody the wrong facts, they'll give you the right facts. And it works.
2: <laughs> so Tessa killed Greg because of a love triangle, I guess.
3: Question mark? Uh,
2: Tessa and...
3: pulling strong faith vibes in outfit and delivery of lines hmm. in this scene, you know.
2: And common sense would dictate, I guess, that Tessa also killed Ruby, but Mulder can't accept that, yeah. and he is, he's ready to, he's ready to commandeer the rental car once more. <laughs> and as he's getting ready to drive off, Scully says,
0: "Mulder, stop!
1: Stop!" After your sister, this won't bring her back.
0: Come with me or don't come with me, but until they find a body, I'm not giving up on that girl.
2: <gasps> He's not giving up on that girl, so stay here or come with me.
3: Mm-hmm. And what is she doing? What do? are you doing?
2: Are you getting in the car with Mulder or are you?
3: Did you see those fucking pecs? Of course, I'm getting in the car with Mulder. Mm-hmm. Goodness okay, gracious. Okay, okay. <laughs> I assume you are as well. Naturally. Yeah, of course. Everybody's Uh, in the car with Mulder. Me, Scully, Jenny, we're all there.
2: (laughs) (laughs) They drive back to Darlene's. The house is empty. The static TV is going full blast. And uh, well, 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 if it isn't a floor completely covered in sheets that are completely covered in zeros and ones. Well, who can make heads or tails of this until Scully ascends to the second floor balcony, looks down and sees that the zeros and ones uh, produce an image of
3: Ruby's fucking face. Producer Latoya Ferguson, quote, I do always appreciate when a bunch of little drawings or scribbles end up revealing a big drawing or scribble. Hell yeah. Hell Co-signed. Yeah. Agree. Agree. Ten out of ten. Also, the tea kettle is whistling, and I know that like this is a podcast and we need to get to the goods here, but how long has this fucking kettle been whistling? Why is it whistling? Did they leave the kettle on the whole time?
2: Well, yeah, she was probably making some
3: fresh coffee. <laughs> <laughs> oh. All right, Jenny. So it's Ruby. It's zeros at the zeros and ones are Ruby. A picture of Ruby. Is it? Is it a picture of Ruby, but also Da Vinci and Bach? Or is it w- what's you know what I mean? Is it was it different zeros and ones? Or if you break apart Ruby's face, do you get all of the classics? What's happening? <laughs> uh I don't know how to answer that. <laughs> we're, we're back in the car. We're going back to like Okaboji, and this is really sad.
2: So this is the car ride where we get. The quote that we had at the top of the episode where Mulder talks about this ritual where he would, as a child, walk into his room with his eyes closed, thinking that if he opened them in the room that Samantha would be there. This reminds me of um, my childhood rituals uh, the most. Uh, The first one that springs to mind is that I would take a running start from my bedroom door and leap onto my bed from as far away as I could get because of monsters because of yeah. monsters under the bed, witches with with sackfuls of who knows what
3: insects, etc. <laughs> <laughs> when I was a kid, I would uh, ha- we had like a garage code, you know, like you'd punch it in, hmm. and I had to punch in <laughs> OCD children unite. I had to punch in the code um, as the garage was opening and get to the garage button before it opened all the way. Otherwise, question mark
2: something terrible
3: something terrible would happen Um, this is really sad though this is (sighs) great job David Duchovny Uh, great great performance always and he I don't know I mean we're digging into some of the darkness of his character now like in a way like we learned that his sister was missing at the beginning of the series but this is like you know this is just really sad and very real yeah yeah Jenny Jenny it's really dark in the woods. We need something. Oh, oh what could which? it be to see? If you don't know, a we have flashlights. A little, we need flashlights. We need two gigantic maglite flashlights. <laughs> For the woods, if you don't already know, we're keeping a count of a few things over at bufferingcast.com slash abacus. And uh, one of those is every time we see the iconic flashlights. Another is every time Mulder does a slideshow. So we got two. Um, Oh, and a third is significant iconic. We got three out of the four that we're keeping count of. So head over there if you want to see our count. (laughs) Hell yeah. All right. So they find Darlene in the woods who's like, you know, I it's here. I saw it, but I couldn't keep up with Kevin um, Mulder. Of course, Mulder runs after Kevin, uh, and Scully stays behind with Darlene. Um, and then, well, she it, is a
2: medical doctor.
3: She she is. Medical doctor. Oh, yeah. She's a medical doctor. <laughs> There's a bright light.
2: Uh, yeah, that feeling when you see the light, but then it's just a bunch of bikers. <laughs> Mulder grabs Kevin and, like, throws himself and Kevin on the ground, which seems like a bad place to be when a bunch of bikers are all around you. You want to be visible, I would think. You'd want to be standing up, right? Yeah, I don't
3: know. Uh, yes, but also they seem to be going really fast. It, I, I don't, I, I could have seen myself getting into this position and just hoping for the best. Hmm. Luckily, it works out for them. And it's also nice for the, like... Big Mulder protecting little Mulder visual of it all. Uh, Also, this shot is really gorgeous. This like orangey, misty. It's just like real foggy. Uh, And it's I love it. Um, This is the moment when Mulder is finally about to take one step back from his belief that his sister is out there because he realizes this wasn't a UFO. This was a bunch of bikers the whole time. And Kevin is like, she's here. Like, I can feel it that she's here. And Mulder says, Kevin, I don't think that she is. I know how much you wanted her to be. I did, mm. too. Oh. Luckily, But this then television- Scully's like, Mulder! <laughs> the television show will continue, because actually, Ruby is back. Which means, guess what? Samantha Mulder, the case is still open. It's still wide open, Jenny. If Ruby came back, then Samantha Mulder could also come back. Hell, yeah.
2: Scully doing some chest compressions, really just, you know, staying fresh.
3: Uh... yeah, um, Ruby is unconscious but still alive. Um, she was in a coma, but then she's recovered. She's come out of the coma because we're in the hospital in. We hear Mulder asking Scully about big words that I didn't write down, but they're big and medical in nature. And Scully's like... And they're
2: symptoms of prolonged weightlessness. What? Shuttle astronauts experience them. What? Ruby was weightless for a long time. Also, I have a hard time believing that the aliens don't have like some, you know, synthetic gravity. gravity on lock. Yeah. I like but the okay. idea
3: of the aliens just sort of like cross-legged, floating by, drinking their tea, you know? <laughs>
2: Yeah. Yeah, you know when you're an astronaut and you go to space your spine expands. So when you get back to Earth and it like contracts again, it's uncomfortable.
3: Jenny, we got, speaking of this, since, you, since you're since you talking about what happens to your spine in space, um, I talked about the twin paradox, the first episode that we had, and we got an email from our listener, Kat, which is talking about the twin paradox, but it's also talking about things that happen to your body in space. So, A. <gasps> yes. <laughs> yeah. So, um, Kat wrote in to say, you know, I'm not a physicist. I don't understand the twin paradox any better than you do, but... Uh, this actually happened in real life there were there are twin astronauts named Scott Kelly oh yeah and Mark Kelly um and Scott spent a year 2015 to 2016 on the international space station um and so when Scott came back to earth Mark was 6 minutes and 5 milliseconds older than Scott because of the the twin the time okay whatever but Listen to these other facts that Kat dropped in here about uh, radiation in space, because it's possible, due to the radiation in space, that Scott might see effects of aging earlier in life than Mark. NASA has been collecting data on both of them since this time to test the hypothesis. Uh, They published a paper in 2019 about the weird stuff that happened to Scott's body. For instance... Shortened telomeres, I'm not sure scientists uh, how you say this, T E L O M E R E S, in cells, are associated with aging. In space, Scott's telomeres got longer, but within two days of landing, they shortened to shorter than they were before he left. So. Yeah. So I don't know what all of that means, but I know that me, a giant nerd who knows nothing about science except for what I read from your emails, was fascinated by it. And it seems in keeping with your spine conversation, Jenny. And thank you, Kat, for that email. So, yeah, whether they have whether the aliens have gravity or not, some fucked up shit has happened to Ruby's body. Um, At the very least, she has been weightless for a prolonged amount of time. Um, and so uh, Scully is wearing a red suit. Uh, that has nothing to do with the scene, except for that we like to tell you what Scully is wearing at all times. Uh, they go in to see Ruby. And the first note that I have, Jenny, is can someone please get this girl some ice chips? This- these are the driest lips <laughs> I have ever seen in my life. Please, someone help Ruby. Give her an ice chip, well, a chapstick. I think she's
2: going to be coming back from space dehydration for some time. Mm, oh my
3: God, she's just like the astronaut ice cream. You know, you
2: know, it doesn't get dehydrated by space.
3: (laughs) (laughs) They don't go up with a cone
2: and then it's like. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Mulder and Scully are like, yo, 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 what's up? And Kevin is like, it's okay, Ruby. Mulder is cool. But Ruby says she's not supposed to tell. And before they can get any further, Darlene pops in and is like, hello, stay the fuck away from my daughter. Uh, you know, just just GTFO. Mulder is like, it's really important for, for Ruby to share her story. And Darlene says, important to who, as you noted. Yeah. And she says, the truth has caused me nothing but heartache. I don't want the same thing for her.
3: Darlene. Yeah. This Come is Come on the pod. We'll be your friends. I know. This is like, this is, I really, really, really love this scene and what it does for the entire idea of the series, right? Because... There are some people who are like, actually, I I know something about the truth and I would just like to live my life, you know, like. The, yeah. And that is also like I feel like Darlene, fair assessment, you know, like this seems like a very fair choice that she is making on behalf of herself and her family. um, And I, I like that the show gives a little bit of room to that as well. Not just finding out what's under the stone, but also making the decision that you don't want to look under the stone anymore. Actually, you just want to be with your. With your kids and live in your life. Yeah. Oh, here's this black rectangle again, Jenny. Um, I'm so glad you let everyone know what it is. Yes, a cassette. <laughs> and a cassette player. I wrote down the return of Dr. Verber. I was so excited. <laughs> that I got to say his name again. <laughs> Scully is
2: listening to Mulder's hypnotic regression therapy tapes. I cried. I cried listening to this. It was
3: a lot. Yeah, let's hear, let's all listen together. Um, I'm going to put a little cassette tape in my cassette player and, and hit play over here. Can you see your sister? No.
0: But I can hear her. What is she saying? She's calling out my name over and over again. She's
1: crying out for help, but I can't help her.
2: I can't move.
1: Are you scared? I know I
0: should be, but I'm not. Do you know why? Because of the voice. The voice? The voice in my head.
1: What's it telling you? Not to be afraid. telling me that no harm will come to her and that one day she'll return
0: do you believe the voice
1: I want to believe
3: I'm upset I'm upset too Jenny and I both are hurt like we both just looked at each other at the end of the sound cue and we're like are you gonna talk are you gonna talk and we both just decided we would be sad for a second this is yeah as you know, I've only seen four episodes of the X Files, um, and but I have a long cultural relationship with the phrase "I want to believe." Sure, I did not anticipate it ever making me feel so sad. Um, so that's something I've learned four episodes in that it <laughs> can also make me sad. And welcome. I I have to say that this voice that Mulder has um, uncovered through this hypnotherapy is comforting to me. No harm will come to her. One day she'll return. That seems like a nice alien. Yeah, it it does as aliens go uh, theoretically in my mind. Right. Yeah. So here we are at the end of it. Also, I don't think we said that like it's intercut. Scully is... At home, I suppose, listening to the tapes or in the office listening to the tapes. And then we see like a hand holding a photo. And that is Mulder holding the photo of him and his sister. And he is in church. Um, Interesting. This is the first time we've seen a church. I mean, that's, you know, it's just at the very end of the, the episode. But I feel like that says a lot about the character of Mulder that he's in a church. I don't know what it says specifically yet, but interested to see perhaps where that goes.
2: Yeah. I wonder if Mulder has any idea that Scully is listening to these tapes. This is very intimate, isn't it?
3: Yeah. And this is like, I guess, signaling to us that her because the episode started where she was shown the Samantha Mulder file. She knows that there is a file that exists. And I don't think we said this at the top, but this file was actually initiated by Mulder. Um, He's the agent of record. Agent of record. He, and indeed, isn't he? Um, So (laughs) I, I, and, and she's been asked the question at the top of the episode. Do you think his personal um, agenda is influencing his like professional, his job basically? And, the fact that by the end of this episode, we've seen her see him uh, so deeply, see how personally impacted he is and how much of his driving force is his personal experience, that by the end of the episode, the fact that she is... Guess what we don't get in this episode, Jenny? A report. There is no fucking Doogie Howser anything in this episode. She's Mm -hmm. not writing report. Instead, she's going deeper into... This, we are to believe, right? The Samantha Mulder file. Like, I would assume that when you cross reference the Samantha Mulder file downstairs, you get these cassette tapes. Yeah. And so, you know, I guess, I guess we don't know. I don't know what happens in episode five. Perhaps she's doing this because she's writing a really big report on Mulder, but I would like to believe that she's doing it because she wants to understand more about him and his motivations and also a lot of the weird ass shit that she has experienced in the past three episodes (laughs) for now
2: you're telling me she wants to believe i think
3: i think she you know what jenny i think that she wants to want to believe (laughs) i think that's correct
2: (laughs) well difficult to figure out exactly the right transition from the sensitive stuff into the Sexual Tension Awards. But here we go. Oh,
3: wow, wow, wow. That was my air horn.
2: Sexual Tension Awards. Welcome back to another installment of the Sexual Tension Awards. Hooray. Huzzah. <laughs> wow, wow, wow. <laughs> wow, wow, wow. Listen, we got four slots. We got a bunch of noms. Are you ready? Are you prepared for these pairings and groupings? I'm ready. All right. Uh, many have said that life is what you make of it. If this is true, it stands to reason that if you live in Sioux City, Iowa, and you're not happy with your life, you could, I don't know, murder your boyfriend after he gets you pregnant and then try to blame on your missing friend, Ruby. Sorry, not your friend. Someone you hung with. Uh, Here to tangle up in one another and make a big old mess. It's Tessa and the drama. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, some people like a more straightforward, simple approach. And for those people, all of them, I have this to offer you. The grouping of all of us and Mulder's shirtless chest. Oh,
3: yes. I'm voting for this one from every Twitter account I have.
2: Hard to argue with a classic. (laughs) Now imagine if you will in our third slot, another pair of noms for which actually, the sky isn't even the limit. Mm. The universe isn't even the limit. Anything is possible when you get these two together. (laughs) It's ones and zeros.
3: (laughs) Impeccable, Jenny. Impeccable. Thank you. Thank you. And we know where Neo's vote is going, you know. (laughs) Fucking at Neo22, because he couldn't get the original at Neo Twitter handle.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And in slot number four, friends, Romans, countrymen it's the king and queen of long meaningful silent looks special agents Fox Mulder and Dana Scully nine
3: seconds
2: nine seconds Ooh, speaks for itself so please if you want to make your voice heard in our sta democracy please find the sta poll on our Twitter at bufferingcast it'll be live for five days from the day that this episode goes up we've we, now that we're on a Almost weekly schedule. We have to make the polls a little bit shorter so we can report to you the results accurately uh, at the top of the next episode. Hell so yeah. please go vote. All right, Kristen. Kristen, it's now we are we have reached what has become my fa- my favorite <laughs> section of the pod. It's. Kristen's crystal ball Kristen's crystal ball She can see it all. What's coming down the pike? I'll show you get it right. Kristen, yes. Look. Gaze deep into the glass orb before you. Cloudy though it may be, clarity may present itself. Gaze deep and tell me, tell us all, what do you see? Okay.
3: I'm really looking into the crystal slash plasma ball this week. I didn't even like pre-plan any of these thoughts, but here's what I see. Samantha Mulder is alive. Our first major fight between Scully and Mulder. Like I'm talking maybe they've already smooched and like now they're not talking and we're upset. We are so upset as the viewers at home and it is because of something related to Samantha Mulder. Okay, okay, okay. I think that maybe Scully is going to tell the FBI that Mulder is compromised because of his personal situation and I'm upset about it and afraid about it but I do think that it is probably where we're going to go at some point this season if not sooner than later okay okay I think Darlene and Ruby and Kevin are going to have a great life now as long as they get the fucking tv out of the house I think they're fine all right all right and I have a couple of things I want to say about Taylor Swift, but I'll save that till the end. So do you have any questions for me inside of either this episode or the four that we've watched so far?
2: As you mentioned, we saw Mulder in church. Mm. Do you think we'll ever see Mulder or Scully in church again?
3: Well, you know, Jenny, because of your scully outfit watch, I have become deeply aware of the cross necklace she wears on the outside of her shirt on a short, tiny little chain. Uh, So I I'm going to imagine I mean, I don't think that you would put Mulder in a church if we were not going to go back to church. So I think, yes, we're going to get some there's going to be some spirituality of the Christian variety uh, involved in this conversation of the truth being out there. And I'm interested. Mm. I'm inter- my interest is peaked, you know? I'm here for it. Cool, cool, cool. Will Scully ever be in the confessional? I hope so. <laughs> uh.
2: uh, anything to say? Listen, I w- I was listening back to the Kristen's crystal ball for episode 3 and heard myself say Oregon and thought to myself <laughs> I say Oregon like 10 times a week i'm always saying oregon and for some reason when i get on the mic i'm like oregon when you said it
3: because like i historically our relationship dynamic is that i say everything wrong and you say everything right so when you said it i was true, like true true i've been wrong this whole time like i was like questioning nope. my own pronunciation of the no, state no
2: i just i don't know what happened to me but i i wanted to apologize to the good people of oregon uh i'm sorry <laughs> i let you down
3: Maybe it's all the lightning bolts in my plasma crystal ball that just make your brain go a little fuzzy, you know?
2: It's entirely possible. Okay, tell me your Taylor Swift thoughts. All right.
3: Well, in the beginning of the podcast, I said, wow, the class of 89 in the woods. Remember that album that I loved by Taylor Swift called 1989? I wonder if there's clues in Taylor Swift's lyrics that are related to either A, Aliens, or B, The X-Files, or C, both. I was mostly joking, though it did seem like a fun project, but since that time, Many things have been brought to my attention, and I'm not going to say them all here. I'm just going to start with what I find to be the biggest one. Okay. It was revealed to me. Not revealed, because I love this album and I should have known. But one of the tracks on the album is called Out of the Woods, lyrics including Are We Out of the Woods Yet? Are We Out of the Woods Yet? Are We Out of the Woods Yet? Are We Out of the Woods? Which seems really on the nose in terms of the class of 1989 and the actual fucking woods. Okay, okay, okay. (laughs) In this song, also the lyric, two paper airplanes flying, flying, flying. Uh, Also in this song, the lyrics, but when the sun came up, I was looking at you. Remember when we couldn't take the heat, I walked out, I said, I'm setting you free, but the monsters turned out to be just trees. When the sun came up, you were looking at me. If there has been a poem written about Scully and Mulder, is it not that? Also, remember the UFO, the unidentified hot flying objects. I just feel like there's I clues. Sure do, Jenny. I'm just saying I'm on the fucking case, okay? So I will be digging deeper into Taylor Swift's 1989 lyrics to see what other connections I can find. Have you ever listened to uh, Pink Floyd with The Wizard of Oz? You know what I'm saying? Maybe sure have. Sure have. Oh, maybe there's yeah. a little treat that Kristen Russo's crazy brain will dig up for us all. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> all right. Well, get me out of this friggin' crystal ball already. <laughs> yes, I think we did it. I think we successfully did something to another file. I don't know what it is, but I'm sure you'll tell me.
2: Uh, Yeah, I would say the status of this file is currently being unearthed by a pack of white wolves.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, cute little white wolves. I know. Well, Jenny, if you were buried underneath a pile of rubble and I took off stone by stone and found you there, who would you be? What would you say? Oh, my God. I'd be like, blah, I'm Jenny Owen Youngs.
2: (laughs) And uh, when I'm not watching The X-Files or Buffy, I'm usually making music. Dusk, the second single from my forthcoming instrumental album, From the Forest Floor, just came out last week. Uh, Features a friend of the pod, John Mark Nelson, and also wife of the pod, Jess Abbott. I hope you'll give it a listen. You can find the songs wherever you stream digital music. You can also give me a shout. On Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok, at Jenny Owen Youngs.
3: So like Taylor Swift said, are we out of the woods yet? And Jenny Owen Young said, no, actually, from the forest floor.
2: Yeah, we're still in the woods, yeah, for sure.
3: I think we might just be in the woods forever. I'm Kristen Russo, and you can learn more about the work that I do with LGBTQ plus communities over on my website, kristinnoline.com. That's K-R-I-S-T-I-N-N-O-E-L-I-N-E. And you can use that spelling to find me on Twitter, on Instagram, and sadly, on TikTok. I have not made a TikTok (laughs) yet. But Jenny has dragged me kicking and screaming to the land of TikTok. And sadly, a friend of mine is really, really obsessed with like Taylor Swift rumor TikToks. And so now my TikTok thinks that what I want is every single Taylor Swift TikTok that has ever been made. And I can't make it stop the algorithm. So someone please help me get out of Swifty land on TikTok. Uh -uh. Help. Uh, I
2: can't help you there, but I can tell everyone that Buffering a Rewatch Adventure is on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and also TikTok at BufferingCast. <laughs> or you could drop us an email at
3: hello at bufferingcast.com. You can support the pod and all of the work that we do by leaving us a review on iTunes. That would be cool. You can go to our store and buy some sweet merch. Support us, of course, on Patreon. All of that information on our website, bufferingcast.com. Don't forget, Buzz Buzz Thursdays are still happening. We are watching the second season of Yellow Jackets in a fun little Discord channel together. So come join us, Buzz Buzz, etc.
2: Hooray! This episode was produced by Kristen Russo, Jenny Owen Youngs, and Latoya Ferguson with support from our consultant, Mackenzie McDade. It was edited by John Mark Nelson. And till next time. The The pod pod is out there.